Second Peter chapter one, just thinking of the scripture about how the promises of God uh, help us to escape the corruption in the world. And it's important to remind ourselves of that so that we when we face with temptation and, and desires that we know that there is he makes a way of escape and that it's through the knowledge of God and through the promise that he has for us to be a partaker of the divine nature. And this is what Peter said to the brothers that he was exhorting. And uh, so Second Peter, in chapter 1, let's read from verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So that's, you know, the more we understand Jesus, the more we know of him, and we can receive a greater knowledge, a greater um, grace and peace as we abide in Him. That's why we seek to understand the Scriptures and, and follow Jesus and obey the Spirit. As our eyes are open, we, we see what things grieve the Spirit of God, what sin is. And as we understand more of those things, we can turn away from sins, the things that we know we ought to do and don't do. Because we know that it says here, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It says, through the true knowledge of Him, which is what Jesus said when He said to those Jews, remember He said to them, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The same thing here. Peter said, the, the divine power that's given to you, which is the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, that gives you everything you need to live a godly life, you know, the devil says you can't do it. The devil says it's not possible. But the scripture says that through Jesus Christ, all things are possible. And it's to him who believes. So we talked about it on Sunday. And so when, if we believe that there is a divine power, that's what verse 3 says. It's not, a, it's not a power that comes from our flesh or ourselves. It's not a power that's of this world. It's divine. But it says that it has been granted to us. It's like a gift. So the Holy Spirit is, we know the Holy Spirit is a gift. So the divine power is a gift giving that God gives us that consists of all life and godliness. And it comes through the knowledge of Jesus. It's not of ourselves, it comes through knowing Christ. Paul laid hold of it. In Romans 7, when you read the battle that he faced, he said, the good I want to do, he says, I can't do it. He says, that which I'm doing, he says, I hate it's like in his conscience, he knew what he wanted to do, but in his flesh, he couldn't do it. And that's a picture of being in bondage. And then he said, at the end of it all, he said, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. For there's no condemnation for those who walk in the Spirit. And not according to flesh. There's no condemnation when we're in Christ. And you got a revelation that it's through Jesus. And when we come to know, have the knowledge of Jesus, and we repent and believe in Him, it's the first works. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him and He sent. And that's where it starts. And we come to know Jesus, and we also know when He says things like, if your eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. This is the knowledge of God. Jesus taught His disciples these things so that they would know what righteousness was. And as we come to know Jesus and believe in Him, you won't, you won't do what someone says if you don't trust them. If you don't really believe in Jesus. And that's the evidence of obedience. Because faith should lead to obedience of faith. And if we say we believe, but we don't listen to what 
Jesus says, it shows that we don't really believe him and we trust him. Because if you, when you trust someone, when they speak, you value their words and you don't question them because you trust them. That's why Jesus said, many of you believe in me, or that word is um, said they trusted in him, but it says Jesus on his part was not trusting in them. He didn't believe in them. To believe means to trust with all your heart. So Jesus knows those who really trust in him because their, their confession is followed by a life of obedience. And so if we believe and we listen to his words, and when he says things, we'll say, Lord, I want to obey take it seriously. And if we come to know that, then we have the promise of being called into his own glory and excellence. And that is basically the life of Jesus. To live and walk as Jesus walked. It doesn't seem possible. The world says you can never, you can't do it. <clears throat> but what did Jesus say? He said, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And he described in the, all the Beatitudes what that looks like. It means, it means things like uh, loving your enemies and showing mercy to people that you want to judge and cutting off those things that cause you to sin and reconciling with people when you're angry with them and uh, not putting away your wife and divorcing her and and uh, you went on and on hearing his word and in the end he said if you hear these words and act upon them you build your house upon a rock and he went over all those things and described to us what the Christian life looks like and it says if we receive this divine power believe in Him it says we can be we can walk in the same glory and the excellence of God or virtue that word excellence means like a virtue so when you say this person has such and such a virtue it's like those are the fruits of the Spirit God calls us to walk in His virtues and we just say I want to but we don't actually listen to His words then we, then we deceive ourselves remember James said that if we're, if we're hearers of the word but not doers, it says we deceive ourselves. So we can be deceived thinking that we, we believe everything because the demons say they believe everything, they confess it. The de- de- demons don't want to obey because they don't want to do the will of God. They want to do their own will. So there's not a suffering for them. They don't want to do it. They want to be a slave of their own desires and they want to be their own God. That's why they're demons. They just do whatever they want. So if we walk in the flesh and we say we believe all these things. We don't really believe the promises and really want to please Him, then we deceive ourselves. But if we believe them, then they're promises to us. Verse 4 says, For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. So Peter uh, makes a point about how it's the promises of God. You remember when, the, he, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians? And he said to them, <clears throat> Come out from among them and be separate. He said, touch no unclean thing. And what was the promise? And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. And then Paul said, since you have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of love. So he said, you have a promise. If you, if you separate yourself from the ungodly fellowship and from the leaven of the world, when you have bad relationships... And the flesh doesn't want to let go of these things because the flesh likes the comfort and likes friends and it wants attention and it has all these these desires. That's why Jesus made it clear to be a disciple, you have to love him more than all these things. Your own life, your own family, your own friends. You can't love them more than Jesus because what happens is you end up compromising. If you love them more than Jesus, 
there's a point in time when you do, you follow the pattern of someone else's life and it will cause you to sin. That's why Jesus says you have to love more. And so Paul, in, in order to encourage the Corinthians, said, look, he said, how is it that you're, you're, you're going back and you're struggling and they were stumbling? And he says, you need to separate yourself from all defilement of the flesh and spirit. And he, he qualified that by saying, you're being defiled in the flesh if you're going and you're, you're hanging, you're yoking up with unbelievers because you shouldn't be doing that. And they maybe were engaging in, in worldly things. And in the spirit, because then when you get these things in your heart and your mind, then you can think about them. You need, now you separate yourself from that, but now you've got to deal with all the sin that's inside of you. It's just like when you go and you know you go on the internet or you go <clears throat> watch something or you go listen to some carnal fellowship and people are joking or talking, and then you it gets into your mind, and then you realize you, you're, you're holy. The Holy Spirit is grieved inside of you, and you say, "Oh man, I shouldn't have listened to that. I shouldn't have been part of it. I should have walked away." You know, I feel defiled. So then you repent and you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But now you walk away and those thoughts are there. So because their spirit is defiled because it got inside. This happened to me where you hear something and then these words come or these thoughts come or maybe somebody was um, judging someone and it got into your heart. This is why the Bible says that we need to purge this fruit of bitterness because it can defile many people. So we start hearing something and then all of a sudden those thoughts towards that person or towards the situation arise in your heart, you know, maybe a friend or a family member or brother or sister, and you're just like, why is this thought in my heart? Or maybe it was talking with somebody about it and it got in there. Now you have to battle it. So, okay, I recognize, I don't want to have fellowship in that. I need to say, sorry, I don't want to talk about these things or I don't want to be part of this. But now I need to cleanse my spirit because it's those thoughts are in my, in my mind. Say, Lord, get them out. And now it takes a process of time. You know, for those things, it's like when you watch an, uh, an impure image, you see it, it's like, it sticks in your mind, it, gives, it goes in your memory, and it takes a long time for it to get out. Your, your brain can remember that, but, you know, thankfully, time can go by and those thoughts can be removed, they can be taken away. But for some reason, <clears throat> the Lord allows it that those thoughts are there, and that now we have to fight them. So when we, when we defile ourselves, those thoughts, we have to fight them. So if we sow to the flesh, that's why the Bible says we reap corruption because we there's a consequence and why doesn't the Lord when you when you sort of the flesh why doesn't the Lord just when you repent take away all the consequences wouldn't that be great if there is no consequence but he made a point specifically even when David sinned that there would be consequences for his sins because it's a reminder for us not to take lightly sin and to go back and to kind of play the harlot with it like Samson did so we know that when we do that, there's this kind of baggage that we have to be sanctified from. And Paul encouraged the Corinthians to, to separate themselves from those things. And then he said, you have these promises that if you do this, you will get to be part of the family of God. <clears throat> so that's why we, that's why we don't want to be, be a friend of the world. Because if we are a friend of the world, we can't be friends with God. We can't have both. And Abraham, why was Abraham called a friend of God? Think about what he did. He left his old life <clears throat> and he, he followed God. And it was a separating, not even not only just from his own family, but he actually had to separate from Lot, his own nephew, who had a desire to serve the Lord. But God allowed it that there had to be a separation because God knew that Abraham was going to go farther. Because he was a man of faith. But Lot was a man who was, who was captivated by his eyes. And Lot, when he looked at things, he was tempted by them and he saw the good land and he wanted it 
But Abraham was a man of faith, and he saw things from a distance. He saw a heavenly kingdom, and he believed in it from, from afar. And so he didn't grab onto the land of Sodom and Gomorrah because he believed God would have something better for him. And God allowed there even to be a separation between him and Lot. And through the promises of God, see, what did Abraham believe in? He believed that God would give him the land that he promised him. God said to Abraham, you will possess this land and I'll give it to your descendants. And by those promises, Abraham said, Lord, I'm not going to, Lot, you decide. You take whatever you want, I'm putting my trust in the Lord. And by the promises of God, he overcame. And this is why Peter says, it's through the promises of God that we can be partakers of the divine nature. How Abraham became a friend of God was he forsook his friendship with the world and his love for the world, and he became known to God. And God spoke to him. And he, he, he became a partaker of a greater knowledge of God's nature. And us, who have access to the Holy Spirit, can have the nature of Jesus. And it says here, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So lust is the bait that lures us back to the old ways. And if we don't have the promises, if I forget what the promises of God are, if I forget that that only when I separate myself from the love of the world and the friendship of the world that I become a son of God, I think, well, I can go do this, and I'm still a son of God. Then I deceive myself. <clears throat> but if I remember those promises, then I'll, what will I do? Having these precious promises, brothers, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, I will cleanse myself from all the fondness of the flesh and spirit. Perfect holiness and fear of the Lord. If I remember those promises, then I'll say, Lord... If I choose this, like Abraham, I know the blessing is here. But if I do what Lot did, I know there's going to be... What happened to Lot? His soul was tormented day and night. Why did his soul get tormented? By the lust of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he made a bad decision. And he took his wife and his kids and went into this place, which is surrounded by lust. And he exposed his whole family to it. And he didn't want to do it. The good he, want, he didn't want to do, but what happened? His kids got so influenced by it that when they left, they actually committed immorality with their own dad. That's how serious it is that when we expose ourselves to sexual sins and impurity and worldliness and all these things, that it actually leavens a person out and it leavened out his daughters <clears throat> so that they committed this sin. And so it's a, it's a picture for us that when we have a choice to please God or to do our own will, we have to remember the promises. We have to remember the difference between Abraham and Lot and and the decisions they made and how God was faithful and look at the, the look at Abraham and the blessing he's called the father of faith so that's how we escape the corruption that is in the world the lustful desires we make a decision based on the promises of God that it's better to serve Christ and look at the things that are unseen <clears throat> so this why this is why then Peter says for this very reason he said apply all Diligence in your faith. So that, that means it takes a little work. You know, in our faith, we have to be, we, have, we can't just be slack. We have to be diligent to engage with our faith in good deeds or moral excellence, to do what's right. And then, <clears throat> as we do that, we, we seek the knowledge of God or we understand God's ways to do what's right, to know God. And in our knowledge, as we learn more and more what pleases Him, because sometimes when we're, when we're children in the, in the faith, we don't always know when we make a bad decision. We find out afterwards sometimes. 
happens. I don't know. It's happened to all of us. It's like you do something. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then afterwards you realize, oh, that wasn't a good decision. Then you get understanding. <clears throat> then you get knowledge. And so now, the next time, what is it going to take for you to resist that? It's going to take self-control. I don't want to do that. I'm gonna ha- I have to restrain myself from making that decision. And so I add to my understanding. So now that you know, that means you have, there's, a, there's a greater accountability. Because God says, now you know. So now you need self-control. So you got to add that to what you know. Before, you didn't understand it. Made, made, a, bit, made, made a bad decision. <clears throat> now you're self-controlled. And in your self-control, as you practice it, what happens if you practice self-control? You see how you grow? You get perseverance. That means you... you get to overcome sin not just one day two days three days four days five days ten days and on and on and you get grace so the word of God says that we can add self-control and perseverance like a like a marathon runner can endure as he practices every day as we practice what's right and as we practice what's right and we gain perseverance we also gain a testimony and that is how we get a godly nature which is a divine nature. A godly nature is, means that we're like God. If we're practicing sin, we're not like God. But if we're adding self-control and perseverance, we become like God in His nature, His divine nature. That's what Peter said. And godliness leads to brotherly kindness. Because if we're not seeking to please God, what will happen with our relationship with our brothers and sisters? we will not truly have kindness and love for them. Because we'll be self-willed and selfish because we're not following the Spirit. We're following our own selfish desires. And we'll probably end up not caring for them or maybe having judgments in our heart or bitterness, maybe quick to have resentment or unforgiveness towards somebody. And we're struggling with it because we haven't walked in the ways of godliness and so it doesn't produce a brotherly kindness but when we love God it says in John, 1 John 5 that we love the child born of God so obedience to God is always first our, our um, reconciliation with God and obedience to Him and out of that flows love for our brothers and sisters that's why that's why Jesus said you know, let your light shine before men but before all that He went through all the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful. And as we obey, then we, we want to help people. And brotherly kindness in our brothers, and that leads to love, which never fails. And that is who God is. God is love. That is His nature, that is His character. And we can deceive ourselves if we think that we have, we have love, but we have no self-control. Because self-control leads to love. And it says that if these qualities are yours if you have these things and they are increasing it will it will ensure that you're neither useless or unfruitful you won't be that fig tree that Jesus came up came up to and cursed because there was no fruit on it you will be a tree that produces fruit when he, he went to see if there's fruit on the tree and that's what he he's coming to see are you increasing in it so maybe maybe one person's at a certain place and another person's at a different place but God doesn't look like at who has so much fruit and who has left he's looking to see are you practicing are you increasing are you growing or are you shrinking back? That's what it says. Are they yours and are they increasing? Are you fruitful or are you unfruitful? And if we're fruitful, then we're walking in the godly nature that God has asked us to walk in. And if we lack these things, this is what it says. 
find myself maybe lacking self-control or perseverance or kindness to my brother or sister, then it means that my, my vision is spiritually hindered. It's, I'm either blinded by something, I'm deceived by something, or I'm short-sighted. I'm not like Lot was. Lot was a little short-sighted in the beginning because he, he went for what his eyes saw immediately in front of him. He didn't, like Abraham, he saw afar off. That's what that means. So when we're short-sighted, we just say, my flesh, I kind of have to have this. It doesn't seem that bad. I need it. I'm going to do this thing. It means I'm short-sighted. And so why is that? We've forgotten that we've been purified from our sins. We forgot what Jesus did. Remember the woman who was weeping at Jesus' feet? That's the perfect example of someone who's, who has a revelation of what Jesus has done. In that place, there's first love. Because Jesus said, when you've been forgiven much, you love much. And that's why we read here, all these qualities end in love. And if we know what Jesus has done for us, we will seek that. But if we're blind and short-sighted, we've forgotten how much He's done and we have a lack of desire to please the Lord. But it says, Brother, be all the more diligent. Again, He says, be diligent to make certain His calling and choosing the Lord. His invitation and His selection of youth, wedding banquet. Remember the guy who got in there? He's, he's like the guy who... He, in his heart, he always wanted to be part. He wants to be part of the fellowship. He wants to, but he, he never could get his wedding clothes on because he wasn't making diligent his calling, his invitation. That word calling means invitation. It's the same word I believe used at the parable of the wedding banquet. When Jesus said, many are called, if you are chosen, that word is many are invited, but not everybody gets to stay. So the guy in that picture was the guy with the, who was in there. He never had his clothes on, but he, in his mind, he was like, I want to be there. I, I really, really would like to come, but he wasn't making sure it's calling. But the good news is, is that Peter says, here's how you do it. Here's how you make your calling sure is you need to become partaker of the divine nature. Remember the promises of God. And if you practice these things, listen to what this says here. If you practice these things, you will never stumble. Now, some people would never believe that. Even You just got to own your mind. Lord, to never stumble? Lord, only because you said, this is a promise, right? If I practice these things, I will never stumble. That is amazing. So I say, Lord, there's a way, and I need you to help me, step by step, to practice these things. And if I fall down, even seven times, I'm going to get back up. Because faith, you notice what the beginning of all these steps are? It always comes back to faith. You don't have faith, you can't get to the next step. Because with God, all things are possible for those who believe. And if you believe these things, then even if you fall, you get up and you say, Lord, help me. Sin, right? I want to practice these things. And in this way, it says, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied. That means there's no, there's an, a security in the Spirit. So Paul said, there's no condemnation when you're in Christ, because when you're walking in the Spirit and you're practicing these things, it's like in your heart you, you have a witness that there is an open gate for you before the Lord. God is making a way. That's what it means here. He's going to supply a great entrance for you. No, there's no worry about the door being open for you. He said it's going to be abundantly supplied. And uh, <clears throat> so <clears throat> I just wanted to share a few of these things. And lastly, that in 1 Corinthians 10, you'll have a verse that um, says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that says, No temptation has come to you except what is common to man. So every single person is going to have roadblocks on their journey. And Paul wrote this to the Corinthians because probably 
they were thinking, man, it's, it's so hard for us because the Corinthians were a group of people that were engaged in, in sexual sins and deep sins and a lot of problems and they had a desire to be very spiritual and they would speak in tongues and prophesy and they, had, they were really zealous for the gifts and the signs and the wonders but they also had very rough pasts and so Paul had to exhort them that, that they should they needed to get their roots grounded and, and deep in the Lord so that they would not just get caught up in all these um, supernatural kind of gifts and signs and speaking in tongues but they would really walk in obedience and love overcome sin and so that they would have faith, hope, and love the greatest things that he said these are the most important things you need to be moving forward in these things because if you have all those other things but you're not loving God with all your heart then there's deception and so he said look the temptations that you guys face it's the same as the Israelites face that's why he, he shared this passage in 1 Corinthians 10 about how they all were tempted in the wilderness and they craved things that our flesh craves listen to verse um, uh, six here. These things happen as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. Now we all know what cravings are. Every one of us has them. Sometimes it's chocolate and sometimes it's something else. And all of a sudden you just have cravings. Like I really like to have this. And so what does it say? It says we we have to we have to suppress those cravings, put them to death, because the cravings will come. It doesn't mean they're not going to come. So if I deceive myself, thinking, why are these cravings here? Sometimes the cravings come. And you know when you get cravings for for certain things, it's usually when you you, know, you open the magazine or you see something, like, whoa, the, the craving's there, because it's right before my eyes, because the eyes are like the gate where thing, the lust comes, right? So if I expose myself to something, then immediately the craving is there. Now sometimes... I can, I can make decisions that will affect whether or not those cravings come on based on my, my choice of where, what I expose myself to. And sometimes I don't have a choice because I just, in the world, we will have tribulation. And that means there's going to be temptation. So if there is temptation and you haven't chosen to go on and take a, a bad decision, then this promise, verse 13 says, okay, so you've been tempted? All right. So, but just remember this, no temptation has come to you, overtaken you, except what is common to every single person. God is faithful. He knows you're tempted. Okay? He's not going to let you be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may endure. And let's look at the example of Lot and Abraham. Lot was exposed to way more temptation than Abraham was. Correct? Why? Because he made a decision in his life that exposed him to those temptations. Now, does that make God any less faithful? Did God provide a way of escape for Lot? He did, right? He sent angels to, to grab him by the hand and pull him out of there because it was that urgent that he'd get escape out of that place because there was such wickedness and God said, I, I can't bear this any longer. I need to get him out of here. So, even when there was that temptation... Sometimes you, this is how the devil works. You make bad decisions and you're there and you think, oh, I'm, right, I'm just uh, so defiled and I'm just in the flesh because I'm just going to sin. Well, that's like Lot's wife who just can't, she has to look back and because her flesh is going back. But even in that place, okay, when the temptation becomes so strong and so overwhelming, we have to remember that God made a way of escape for Lot. So think of that. When temptation gets very strong and you just feel compelled 
It's in your flesh. And you just say, Lord, you... Remember what it says about Lot in Second Peter? I believe it's chapter 2. It says, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. You know that scripture? I'm going to read that for you. Because it was like an overwhelming point for, for Lot. And it's like an encouragement for us that even when you feel so overwhelmed, it's Second Peter 2 verse 9. Let's read in verse uh, 7. Second Peter 2, verse 7. It says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. So he was, he was literally oppressed by the sensuality in the place where he was, because he, he, he exposed himself based on his decision. So it says, For what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their deeds. So why was he way more exposed to temptation? Because he saw and he heard it every day. What they were saying was evil, and what they did was evil. And he saw it, and heard it, and saw it, and heard it, and it was tormenting his soul, and tormenting his soul. And he's like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And what's the devil going to say? You can't do it. No, 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 it's too hard. Nobody can do it. It's a lie. Okay, you say, Lord, I made a bad decision. I need to repent. And it says here, that the Lord, verse 9, even after he was tormented, it says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Even in that place, God can save you and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So, that's encouragement for me. That when, when you feel overwhelmed about a situation, whatever it may be, if there's a battle going on, just remember a lot and remember the scripture. Lord, do you know how to get me out of the situation? I'm battling with something in my heart maybe it's resentment maybe it's desires and lusts or covetousness or whatever you can deliver me from it no temptation has overtaken me except what God uh, except what is um, common to man so if you want if you don't want to be tormented day and night that means you gotta really fear the Lord and say Lord help me not to make bad decisions so I don't expose myself to unnecessary torment because I can do that, and, and just like Abraham. And Abraham didn't expose himself. So, Lord, I want to... This is why, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Lord, uh, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation. Don't let me make those bad decisions. Like, Lot, I don't want to be led into a place of temptation. Lot was totally led right into a place of extreme temptation. So Jesus told us, this is how you got to pray if you don't want to be in there. You pray, Lord, lead me not into this place of temptation, but deliver me from a, the evil one. Because if you don't pray that way, your chances of finding yourself there are going to be higher. But even if you're there, He knows how to rescue the godly. But if you flee from it, and you pray like Jesus did, Lord, don't lead me into temptation, then, then you don't have to fight as the same battles. I believe that's why Jesus asked us to pray that way. So that's why it says here, God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You can persevere under it. Therefore, my beloved, what does it say in the next verse? Flee from idolatry. Because if we lift up something in our heart, remember what was Lot's, and what was Lot's wife's idolatry? It was all her possessions. Right? In Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a prosperous land. And it was an idolatry. How do we know it was an idolatry? Because her heart 
looked back to it when the when the angel said, "Don't look back. Look to Jesus. Look to where I tell you." And our heart goes to the idolatry. Then we're looking back, and it's a high place. And so, whatever those things are in our hearts, if we if it if it's something that our flesh goes back to, it's like an idolatry. And if we don't flee from it, what do you suppose is going to happen? The temptation will over overtake us, as it did with Lot's wife. So if we turn away from those things and repent from them like Lot did, because it says he was a righteous man and he was tormented, then he'll provide a way of escape just like he did for Lot, and he'll pull you out of this temptation, and he'll be able to escape it. And he'll cause you to stand, so you don't have to fall. And if you practice these things, you will never, never stumble. That's what Peter said. So let's remember the promises of God that he makes a way for us, a way of escape. So that when the battles come, we can call on the name of the Lord. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.